Leonard Cohen suggested, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. I am here, although I am there this morning with Greg Chapman. I, I uh, looked it up this morning and he is a little over 12,000 kilometers away by plane. And he's 18 inches away by screen. So the extraordinary miracle of our time, even with the strangeness that accompanies it, gives us a chance to talk to each other as if we are sitting on the opposite sides of a table. And that's just a remarkable thing to me um, still. I, I just love it. And oddly enough, it didn't occur to me to do this as I'm doing it until the pandemic hit. So this is one of the results mm -hmm. of the pandemic is all of a sudden something that was already there. I realized that it, it wasn't there enough for me. So Greg and I stumbled upon each other, I believe, on LinkedIn, um, exchanging ideas. And we've talked several times and I did a podcast for him, so as punishment, um, I have asked him to do a podcast for me, and we're going to talk, among other things, about facilitation today, which is one of my favorite topics. Um, I'm a recovering English teacher, and it comes from a Latin word that means to make easy. So for me, a lot of my life, I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. So as I as I tend to do, Greg, I wanted to ask you to tell us your story, um, the the journey to this point in the world of Greg Chapman. Thank you, Mike. Um, hmm. So my, my earliest memory of uh, when I started working, just put it that way, is I got out of, out of my first day at the job and somebody asked me, why are you here? And I said, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you want to do? five, 10 years down the line. I said, I don't know. So they asked me, so why have you come for this interview, cleared it, got the job? Um, I said that I remember very early on in life being told that, you know, two things, uh, studies and education and the like is school, pay attention, be good at it. Um, and the other thing was uh, find what you really like doing. Now, the first one I completely tanked out on uh, just about caught by on school. Uh, but the second piece, um, that's something that stayed with me. So ever since I started, which is 2001, um, I knew deep down inside that I really liked teaching and sharing with people um, experiences or at a subject uh, matter expert level um, content. But yeah, that's what I really liked doing. So I got into that back then. And I remember somebody told me when I got in, um, that in a year or two years of becoming an educator or a facilitator, you're gonna hit burnout really fast. It's been almost 20 years now and uh, this is something I really, really like doing. And uh, it's become um, not only my livelihood, but it has impacted me in so many ways. Yeah. Well, I, 
I started as a classroom teacher um, mm. maybe before you were born. I started in 1971. Before I was born, born certainly. Yeah, yeah you know, that, that's another extraordinary thing, uh, which is just, <laughs> but what I discovered, um, two things I discovered, um, among other things, the, the um, average length of service for a public school teacher in the United States mm. is five years. Okay. And I last, yeah, I didn't know that until after five years I left. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I discovered for the first time in my life, I was exactly average. Um, the other thing is that the boundaries of school, though I love school, I found way too mm -hmm. restrictive. Mm -hmm. You know, as you said about doing something that is, is with your heart and with your spirit. Mm -hmm. Those are not the words you use, but that's what I think I heard. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I could only do maybe 30% of that inside mm -hmm. of a public school. So whether it was fragile ego or whatever, um, <clears throat> I ended up discovering that I do much better work when, when I kind of follow my star, um, which is a world of ideas and the world of discovery and a sort of childlike enthusiasm. And, in, in your journey on your own, right? You've been running your own shop for since 2001? No, for a few years now. Okay. So when did you, when did you start doing about, just Greg Chapman? It's been about three years now. Okay. Three years. Yeah. Um, I, I had your story a little wrong, but not a whole lot wrong. So mm -hmm. in those three years, mm -hmm. uh, because in my first year, because I started on my own in 1995, mm -hmm. In those first years, I learned a lot about myself. So what have you learned about yourself in those three years of, um, you know, rowing your own boat, as it were? Mm. Mm. Um, before I say that, I'm just going to go a little back to what you said about schools and to pull a line out of your book. Um, you walk by a school and you walk by a a prison and <laughs> plenty of similarities there, just the way they look. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, these three years have taught me a lot. Um, more than new stuff, it's been about, um, so whenever I'm in a workshop, um, most commonly I open up my, uh, workshop by you know writing a word on the whiteboard and i put up the word saying learning and i ask people mm, what are some of the thoughts that come to your mind when you say learning and a lot of people you know come up with things like saying new stuff or knowledge or skills and what i've seen <clears throat> some of my participants just come up and say sometimes it's about you know revisiting the old stuff right um so in these three years, um, when I was starting out, I, you know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and uh, intuitively I could sell. I, I never had something against selling. Then I, I joined up with uh, an organization and worked, took home a salary. Um, and for some odd reason, the idea just got set in that uh, sales is not my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. uh, 
when I got out and this is do or die, sink or swim, it just came naturally. So I said, wow, um, if this is one of the, um, I, the ways I look at myself, if this is something that I've picked up along the way um, and it's wrong, uh, hey, time to challenge some of your identities. So that's one of them. Uh, you know, logic um, can get you just as far, especially if you're if you're starting your own thing, um, and especially in times of today, like 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 the whole COVID times uh, and the like. Um, what I had forgotten was, uh, I know this is going to solve very cliched or old-fashioned or whatever, but um, what I found was faith, uh, a renewed faith, uh, which used to be my strength, like way back um, when I was small and growing up. Uh, and that's kind of uh, helped, me f- helped me find the resilience um, um, to not only tide over these times, but also um, look for opportunities and make it work for me. So, yeah. The idea of of uh, faith, I think, is critical in my life, and yet it isn't something I can define. It's kind of like learning on your whiteboard. Mm. It's I'm a, a very kinesthetic learner, so it's like throwing a rock in a pond. Mm. So that's how my faith shows up. Is that's kind of the rock I throw into the pond of my life, and then I pay attention to the ripples, but I. I certainly cannot say, oh, I know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what's the balance for you between um, <clears throat> between comfort with that kind of ambiguous life and moments or times of um, second thinking, you know, uh, second thinking yourself, maybe I shouldn't have done this. What am I going to do next? What happens if... How have you found a sort of comfort zone between those two places? Because there is a lot of chaos living Mm. the kind of life we lead. Yeah. So when the COVID hit and uh, a month went by, two months went by, three months went by, and work took a big hit. Um, So I felt like a stone in the pit of my stomach. And uh, not too many, but I had a couple of sleepless nights. Um, but it was never about going back. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, I, I would say that thoughts never entered my mind. Um, I don't know how that's possible because, you know, when I was on the other side, I was always thinking if I, if I, uh, do my own thing and if it doesn't work out, how do I go back? So there's many of these questions, but once I've taken the plunge, um, I think there's no going, no going back, um, personally. Um, and I think um, it's, about, it's about doing your responsible action, uh, figuring that out, figuring 80-20 out, figuring what 20% can give you the 80%, um, going after that. And then once that's done, or even during that stunt, then having that faith that things will work out, you know. So I think that's the way I'm looking at it. I may have told you 
a story. Um, I was um, I was online dating for a time, mm-hmm. which I, which I think everybody should have to do. <laughs> I did that. Or not. It's yeah. a real growth opportunity. Yeah. But I I'd been seeing something, someone, and then it vanished. And I was talking to my friend John Kelly. And he said, mm. "How's how are things with a Jen? That was the woman I was mm. seeing at the time. I said, it uh, didn't work out. And there was mm. silence for a minute. I thought he'd left the phone. And then he mm. said very quietly, oh, it worked out. Mm. Right? It just didn't work out the way I had wanted it to. Yeah. So let me ask you a couple, two, two things. And if, if you can figure out how to put them together, that'd be great. And if you can't, that'd be great too. One is, does... Does being you do you suspect that doing what we do, in which we have to be very agile, we mm-hmm. have to we have to be um, on our toes all the time, more or less, because we don't we don't go to work Monday through Friday, and get a right. paycheck and right. Um, so the kind of skills we have to learn in order to do this, do you think that maybe that helps us deal with the pandemic thing better? Number one, and you can expand, and and I know that's a closed question, but um, I we both forgive me for that. And we we talked last time about facilitation, about that as a sort of concept and as a skill set, which we can pass on to other people. So if you'll talk a little bit about that kind of resilience, ambiguity, faith for especially people like us who are kind of outside the mainstream. Number one, but number two. How do you see facilitation? What does it look like and what does it not look like as you help people understand that? Uh, if you could say a little more about your second question. So you're saying resilience, faith, and uh, facilitation. And those are, so those you, are, yeah. Yeah, those, are those, those are two separate things, but I suspect that they have something in common mm. because facilitation, at least in my understanding of it, and in the facilitation I've, I've done, I really have to be paying attention. I really have to be flexible. I really have to be able to, to see and hear and observe what the group is doing mm-hmm. in order to do my next right thing to serve them. I, um, mm-hmm. I can't be complacent when I'm doing that. And I don't think I can be complacent in my work, not that other people are or aren't. So I suspect that those two perspectives have a lot of congruence. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. So let me try and answer um, with a example or two. Cool. Yeah. So a lot of times while we're facilitating a common, a common topic of facilitation that, you know, if you've been in the game long enough, uh, you would eventually have to, uh, do a session on, and that's um, mindfulness or being in the here and now. Um, yeah. So if I'm telling people to be in the here and now, mm-hmm. but I myself, I'm unable to be in the here and now in a facilitation session. So I'm just going to remove, uh, move a little away from COVID. So let's just say sure. as a facilitator, uh, there are plenty of fears. COVID is one fear, many other fears, you know, I'm saying something, how is it being received? I'm saying something, the person in the back is yawning and about, about to go off to sleep. I'm saying something and somebody's pushing me back and so on and so forth. So there's several fears. How's it going down? Will people like it? So on and so forth. 
Um, so, so let's say somebody's asking a question, and that question is a kind of a pushback. Sure. Uh, so all of what we're teaching, I think that's fertile ground to tr to try that out. So, for example, if you're saying be in the here and now, then that's the opportunity to be in the here and now. If you're saying let go of your assumptions, then that's the opportunity to um, let go of your assumptions, right? So I'm just going to put this up. And I'm going to move and I'm going to come back to this. So that's one. Um, the other is, <clears throat> long back when I started facilitating, um, I was, I was uh, budding up with, I was co-facilitating. You know? uh, the veteran facilitator would go and I would sit along and see. Um, so there was this um, gentleman and he'd been in the army before. And uh, so most of his stories in class were from the army. Now, you know, when he gave the stories, everybody really connected with them, really liked them. And uh, I, I said, well, I've got it, the trick to facilitation. Um, memorize the stories, write them down. I took copious notes, uh, spent the night memorizing. The next day or the day after, I had to go and facilitate. So here I was, same kind of audience, same organization, same program, and word for word, I gave those stories and nothing happened, right? And I was here <laughs> wondering what the hell did I do wrong? I mean, I spent a considerable amount of time memorizing all of them and then nobody reacted, nothing happened. And then it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that, you know, it's simple to say, but one of the, something that brings the magic to the, to the class is if you're coming out of a place you know, if you're facilitating from a place of having lived it, it's so much more powerful, you know. So that was realized. So, you know, back to my original piece. So if in the moment I am able to bring in the here and now, the audience just picks it up, you know. And, of course, you need other skills, but they then start mirroring it. If I'm doing something on resilience, I think it's not so much about the model. It's not – if I'm telling – a lot of HR heads have been saying, hey, you can do something resilience. And to me, it's not so much about the model. There are endless amount of books out there. But I think the magic sauce over there is you yourself finding uh, resilience in your own life. And I would, I think you alluded to this uh, before. And I don't really want to paint a ro rosy picture and undermine the kind of loss, you know, people have gone through. Um, but COVID has also provided, so with that disclaimer, COVID has also provides fertile ground. Um, hey, this has hit me. And I just feel like the bottom has just gone away. And now, you know, that's how I felt, a free falling. But how do I find resilience in that um, context? And just asking myself that question. Um, yeah, books help, what people say helps, lectures and all of that help. But I think just asking first a mindset that I'm bringing to the table. This is how I'm going to approach it. And this is why I'm going to approach it. HJing myself, B to take it to class. And then just asking yourself, how can I find resilience in this? How can I be resilient to it? I think that's my, I don't know if I've answered that nicely, but yeah. That was fabulous, Greg. For 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 lots of reasons, <laughs> it was it was a very vague and ambiguous question, which is which is one of my habits. 
And as I was asking it, one of the, one of the beauties of this platform is that we have to look at each other while we talk. Yeah. Now, if we were in a room and we were looking at each other like this all the time, we would probably feel a little uncomfortable. It's like, why are you staring at me? It's, you know, it's like there's a piece of food on my tooth or something. Why do you keep looking at me? Well, we don't have any choice here. Right. right? So watching the transformation of your facial expressions while you were thinking of the times with the guy in the army and his stories and how you wrote them down and how you memorized them and how you, then you told him and nothing happened <laughs> watching your face when you were like, nothing happened. It was like, Oh my God. Cause I've had that feeling in, um, in front of a room, but then watching you, you, your expression transform as you also got the insight. Right which I'm going to mangle verbally, but I hope it's accurate, is that you were telling somebody else's story. You weren't living it. Spot and, on. Yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> from a, from a learning perspective and from a facilitation perspective, because I think learning a, a learning in, environment is facilitative in the sense that it uh, creates a context for people to, as you said, to, to push back. Right. And I love it when participants push back. I love that. It's like, yes, <laughs> they have permission. And you also brought the two ideas of, of resilience during COVID and the idea of facilitating. I think you brought them together very um, succinctly is that those two skills are very congruent. You know, as you said about being mindful, you know, paying attention, listening without bias so that so that we get better data. Um, a friend of mine just sent me a short video by what's his name? Anthony Hopkins. Mm -hmm. He played um, Hannibal Lecter. Mm -hmm. OK, yeah. he's a fabulous actor yeah. and he's been sober for 24 years. And he was celebrating his sobriety. And he said, today is the tomorrow we worried about yesterday. Today is the tomorrow we worried about yesterday. Wow. Isn't that fabulous? Fabulous. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and our um, journeys, I think, have brought us both to realizing the value of, as you said, faith. And I think faith may be at least a big part of faith for me yeah. is being mindful, yeah. being, being translucent to what's going on around us. And that's also the skill which we both bring to and take from facilitating. Yeah. And if I may interrupt, Sure. To me, to me, um, um, I think I think facilitation is uh, kind of a big picture, kind of something that I look up to doing. Why I'm saying this is because um, step up, you know, um, often in the family, um, one of the siblings finds. Um, Either the parents gone for whatever reasons are they're alone and somebody has to step up um, in the army you find 
you look around and all of a sudden your commanding officer is gone and you have to step up. And that um, because of that responsibility, because of the job that you're called on to do, um, you transform, right? Um, and I see facilitation that same way. Um, because you know you're going to go um, to class and you need to step up. If you're telling somebody to do something a particular way uh, or facilitating change, then you damn well step up. And I think that's what, you know, then in reverse guides me through the situation I'm in here. And so that's my, um, you know, what they call the big why or the mm-hmm. big driver and stuff. So there's one of them. Yeah. So in <coughs> time of uh, change and, and opportunity, and I am a child mm-hmm. of the 60s, I am an idealist and I always shall be an idealist, but I don't think I'm naive about that. Mm-hmm. But in this shift, how do you see your movement in your life and work, which I think for you are pretty congruent, um, how do you see yourself expanding in order to encompass a very ambiguous world, which is changing as we're speaking, and we'll move towards a place which maybe we've never been before? How do you see yourself being flexible and 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 big enough in your thinking and in your faith so that um, you will be able to to keep help, helping other people? at your best? What do you need to work on or keep working on that you're working on in order to be there then mm. to do your best to be of service to other people? Um, is it okay if I step back and uh, would like to hear your thoughts and the wisdom from you um, and bef- before I give commentary on that? So is, is that okay if I do that? Of course, it's okay. I wouldn't try to stop you. For me, it it is it is pretty much everything you have said so far. Mm-hmm. It is about being it is about being mindful. Um, it is about faith. It is mm-hmm. being being fearless, and by that mm-hmm. I mean just what the word says is less fear. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do your work, as when I do mine. I think what we um, what we create for people mm-hmm. is a context, an environment, a community of less fear. Yeah. For instance, you said when uh, people push back, and I said you could see, and I'm sure hear how excited I love it when my participants push back, mm-hmm. because that tells me that. I've done at least an important part of my work, which is to make a community of, of, of candor. I mean, I'm no longer the teacher or the authority figure or the boss or the, whatever you want to frame it. I'm a facilitator, which means my job, the way I see it, is to, is to, is to open up a sense of community that, that we're all in this together. So the only rule is the, that the more transparent we can be, the better off we'll be. Hmm. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for uh, responding to that. 
completely resonate with you. And, you know, to quote a line, to mangle a line rather, <laughs> uh, the, the harvest is rich and the laborers are few, right? Um, yeah, from the good book. Um, maybe getting a little overly philosophical, but, you know, that's, that's the way I'm looking at it. Um, I'm also going to juxtapose that with something... I can just get the approximate thing. Uh, it's attributed to the Dalai Lama. I don't think he said it. Um, it goes something like this. It says the world needs fewer successful peoples, uh, people. Uh, the world needs more healers, more lovers, more poets of every kind. You know, uh, and, and, I, and I really believe that um, not just for humanity's sake, but also for the earth. You know, yeah. uh, the earth too needs to heal. Just on an aside, uh, the COVID, um, for example, got the earth to breathe easy for a few days. And there was a forced winter, you know, you, at least in India, there, there was a lockdown. People weren't allowed to go out, I, I, I think, to an extent in the U.S. as well. Um, so, but nobody or not too many people have thought of systematizing that of systematizing, giving the earth uh, a bit of a break. But anyway, so coming back. So um, getting myself out there, getting any of the facilitators, uh, you know, who are really uh, convinced of, about the cause out there, I think that's what the world needs right now. Um, mental health, for example, is, is, is the demand for it is huge. I have, um, I have uh, therapists, and uh, they're, they're telling me that calendars are all chock-a-blocked, right? Uh, I have therapist friends in India and uh, in the U.S. and they're saying it's chock-a-blocked. So I think it's on the rise, the requirements there, and uh, you need more and more people. So getting myself out there. Um, <clears throat> and I want to close uh, by saying, by quoting something from Buddhism, which says, um, for somebody entering Buddhism, they say, you know, what's the path? Uh, how, how do you walk the path and become a good Buddhist? Um, and they say three pieces to it. The Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. So the Buddha, of course, is, you know, the enlightened one. Um, the Dharma is a teaching, uh, but also the Sangha. Now, I'm not saying we as facilitators are the Buddha. I mean, but we can surely facilitate learning and stuff for that. Um, the Dharma is a teaching that, you know, we're sharing with people. And I think the important part, which a lot of us miss out on, and I think you spoke about it just now, uh, is the community, the Sangha, the community. So if you, you know, building a community, not just of wise people or like-minded people, not just, but a community, a go-to community where, yep. you know, I, I can reach out, uh, Part of, part of my training in uh, transactional analysis talks about the stroke economy. Uh, we all need psychological strokes. Um, the spine shrivels up. We all know that. Um, but, um, and, and when we're small, we, we really ask for a stroke. A small kid, I've got a six-year-old. He'll come and ask me. I want to kiss. I want to hug. Uh, he'll come and ask me. But as we grow up, I think um, our ability to reach out and ask for strokes is not just um, reduced, but is also frowned upon. So why, why are you asking me? I mean, you not say, hey, I need a stroke, but you know, a lot of times, or at least we think 
that it's going to be frowned upon. So I, I look at the third piece, the Sangha, this community, as a, you know, creating these uh, pools of community where people can not just be part of a mentor or a place to get wisdom or whatever, but just as a part of a place where you can go to get some love. Yeah. How do you spell Sangha? S A N G H A. And you also you also said chaka block, which I haven't heard in a long, long time. <laughs> okay. yeah. I yeah. love it. I love it. You know what you, what you just said, and and thank you because we're, we're like we're like playing ping pong, but when you hit the ball to me, I don't just hit it back. I like hold it for a bit and like look at it and think about it. And then I hit it back to you and then you hold it and you think about it and then you hit it back. So we are just going bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Um, yeah. What you, what you just captured for me and thank you. This is part of why this is so much pleasure is that, um, that, that sense of community is not about absence of conflict. Right. It's about permission to, to ask, you know, what, right. what you said about, you know, when we're kids, we don't have any trouble asking. In fact, yeah. we do a lot of asking, but at yeah. some point it's frowned upon, which, which makes so little sense. Yeah. Because when we ask, we, we invite people to join us. Yeah. So let me ask you, cause you, you already have covered, my next to last question three times already in from, from different perspectives, which I really appreciate it. I love when people do my segues for me. And what I discovered is if I establish a safe place that they will always do it. I don't have to ask a question. It's like, that's what I was going to ask next. You, so you, you've got some great questions, Mac, and you've got very interesting ways of asking them. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So some years down the line, when you are no longer around to bother your son because you've moved away or whatever the reason, but your son has children of his own. So those are your grandchildren. So they come to him. They're pretty young. They're like six and seven, you know, that, that wonderful age when, when kids are still very curious, but they can deal with a little more intellectual, you know, complexity. And your grandchildren ask their father, which is your son, they say, Daddy, tell us something. Our, our history teacher has told us that the year 2020 was really hard, that it was a really hard year. How did Grandpa, that's you, how did Grandpa handle himself? And what would you like your son to tell his grandchildren about how you handled yourself? Never thought of that, Mac. <laughs> um, hmm, that's an interesting question. <sighs> okay, two ways. Okay. Um, one, um, I think parenting is largely about creating memories. Yeah. So I take my son for a run, play some football. Um, take him to the park and um, 
six-year-old, he just told me something the other day that it was, uh, blew my socks off. He said, uh, I love uh, spending time with you. Uh, so that, that just made my whole day, week, Christmas, everything. So, um, so I, I would like him to tell his kids that um, um, dad spent a lot of time with me. And um, yeah. So, and I, and I think childhood is the place where a lot of seeds are sown and um, the fruits come much later. And if you can put in good foundation blocks right now, uh, education you can pick up, reading you can pick up, people skills you can pick up. But I think um, if you've felt loved um, and important, uh, not flipping over to the other side well enough, then I think that does, uh, that does something for you as you uh, grow up. As you grow up, I mean, there's something that I read somewhere that says that when you're, when you're uh, small, you get a lot of love. As you grow up, you learn to get by on a very little. So I'm thinking, yeah, I think once the foundation is strong, whether you have a lot of love later on or not, you learn to get by on a little. So, yeah. So that's one. Dad spent a lot of time with me. I think the second is aspiration. Um, is something that is central to the way I think and central to my aspirations. I'd say central, yes. Um, it's a quote, which I'm again going to mangle. But it's a quote uh, from Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, the famous uh, Buddhist uh, monk who settled down in France now, Vietnamese monk. He said something that um, went something like this. He says, people say um, that walking on water is a miracle. Uh, I would say uh, walking the face of the earth and retaining your calm is a miracle. You know, something like that. So... To me, I think uh, uh, that's what, what I would like him to tell his uh, children, that at least he saw me moving or growing or uh, getting there and then helping spread the word around. Yeah. So maybe walking on water is a story about walking on earth. Maybe it's more of yeah. a metaphor. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. But wow. now I have some. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for this extension of Christmas for me. Thank you for the gifts of insight. And thank you for helping me shape and move my thinking towards a place that both of us like to be, which is to be more insightful and to, and to just pay attention. You know, when you said spending time together, I mean, that's what community and that's what faith and that's what love mm. always, always entails. That's not the right. whole story, but there's something to right. be said for spending time together, right? Right. Good. Absolutely. Thank you, my friend. We will talk again soon. Um, we will. Yes, we will. And are you still writing? Are you? Do you have anything in the in in your writing hopper right now that you're that you're working on? Yes, yes, I am. Um, I'm writing on a working on a piece called Constraints, um, 
I'm not sure how to nomenclature, probably constraints and freedom, but the role that constraints play in our life. That's something I'm working on. Um, I'm going to send it across to you and maybe we can talk uh, sometime on that. And um, Max, same to you. I mean, thank you for extending Christmas. This podcast is actually a present and uh, truth be told, it came to me as quite a surprise. Um, <laughs> So thank you. And I'm learning from you every time we get in one of our conversations. Uh, it's a pleasure and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you again sometime. Yes. Yes. Well, be well. Um, you too. Yeah. Keep on walking the earth, right? Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward, with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.